Okay, and the, the section is entitled, Abram Justified by Faith. What then shall we say that Abram, our, f- our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abram and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir to the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Thanks. This is the word of Lord. I got carried away and did an extra verse. That's fine. That's fine. That's quite helpful, actually. It's not going to ruin everything, because I I do refer to that, actually. Funnily enough, it's weird, isn't it, how these things happen. Well, one of the ways that we can respond um, to God's word is by declaring uh, the Christian faith. So um, you just maybe have a look over at the Nicene Creed. Nicene means that it was agreed in a place called Nicaea. And it's just a summary of what Christians believe. So if this is what you believe, then do say this uh, with me. If it's not yet what you believe, that's totally fine. Just have, have a look over the words and pray maybe that the Lord would help you understand them. We're not going to stand, although that's traditional in many churches, uh, but let's say this together as a profession of Christian faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, universal and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, do keep that passage um, open that Brian read for us earlier on. And as we continue in our, our series uh, of Romans, as you may be aware, we're thinking about this question, how can we be acceptable to God? How can you, how can I be acceptable to God? How can we be acceptable to God when half the time we're not acceptable even to ourselves? don't know if you feel that. Certainly how I feel. And in our culture, as we've been thinking, that's not really the question people are asking. The, the question people are asking, though, is how can we be acceptable to one another as well as acceptable to ourselves? How can we be acceptable given our identity, be it race or gender or wealth or education or sexuality class how can I be acceptable to myself well it's only if other people accept me they must accept me if they don't accept me well I can judge them so how can we be acceptable to God and linked with that question whilst people don't understand this it is linked to the question of how we're acceptable to ourselves and how we're acceptable to other people Now, I'm still making progress in understanding uh, the book of Romans. But one of the things I'm convinced of, and I've experienced in my own life and relationships, is that the, the righteousness of God that Paul talks of in this book is very good news. It's very good news for me and for you, because as we've been thinking, I'm not okay, you're not okay, but Jesus can make us okay. And it's not about good deeds that we kind of build up to balance out our bad deeds. It's not by that accounting method that God makes us acceptable to himself. It's no, by asking him, how good is that? That by asking God to make us acceptable to him through trusting in his son Jesus, we can be made acceptable. Now, if you want to hear more about that, do go on the uh, podcast. But we're looking uh, this morning at, at chapter 4. So let's just pray that God would, whether we've been Christians for many years or we're new to Christian things or we're trying to find out what it's all about, let's just pray that God would open our hearts to his truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you are still alive, that you are with us, meeting with us now through your Spirit. And that the words that you spoke while you were on earth, the words that you have taught your apostles in your human ministry and from heaven are before us. So Lord Jesus, please would you be our teacher. Please open the eyes of our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we might see your glory, your righteousness and trust in you. Amen. Now, the first thing I want to do is just show in the book of Romans how these things are linked. Because you may be thinking, well, John, I've, 
I've, I've heard the book of Romans before, but I'm not sure that these things are, are linked. Justification by faith alone and acceptance of myself and acceptance with one another. So I just want to show you briefly that they're connected. Although we're thinking just this morning about how we can be acceptable to God, so keep a finger in chapter 4 and just flip forward with me to chapter 8, verse 1, because really in the chapters that Paul is going to go to, first of all, he talks about how to relate to God ourselves, with, with ourselves. There's, there's much to say. Uh, sometime later next year, we'll be having a series in Romans chapters uh, 6 to 8, so you can park it for the moment. But look what he says in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're Christians, there is no condemnation for us. We can accept ourselves. We don't need to condemn ourselves. Constantly be criticizing ourselves because God does not condemn us. We ought not to. And then, and this is one of the, the, the main aims of the book of Romans. Um, Paul wants to get Jews and Gentiles to accept one another as Christians. So flip forward with me to chapter 15, verse 7. So this is part of the application of the whole book. It may be some years before we get to Romans 15, but I just want to show you. This is his application of the gospel, verse 7 of chapter 15. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In other words, back to Romans 4, in other words, the doctrine of justification by faith alone has personal implications for our psychology, self-acceptance, no condemnation, and social implications for our loving community. We are to accept one another as God has accepted us. We are to love one another as God has loved us, Ephesians 5. So if we can get this clear, it will help our relationship with ourselves and with one another. Now, I just want you to see what chapter 4 is really about. Because you might have got sidetracked by all this stuff about Abraham and circumcision. And you're thinking, what on earth is that about? Verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 5, however, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Verse 6, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness. And we could go on, verse 9, verse 11, and then the end of the chapter, if you just flip, flip over the page. 22. Credited to him as righteousness. 23. Credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will... Do you get the idea? This is about God giving people his perfect righteousness. First point. God has always credited people with his righteousness by faith alone. God has always. This is always how God has made people acceptable to himself. And Paul begins the question by addressing Jewish people. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What shall we say that Abraham, our 
forefather according to the flesh. In other words, those descended from Abraham, so he's talking to Jews, discovered in this matter. How, how did Abraham get right with God? Was he justified by works? Was he trying to tot up all his good deeds to get them to balance his bad deeds? No. Verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Paul's just said at the end of chapter 3 that Christian faith means that it's an end to boasting because we're not declared right with God because of the good things we do. So nobody can boast. He, he might have boasted in those things, but not before God. What does the scripture say? And then he quotes from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, this is how Abraham was made right with God. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul is talking about God's righteousness. He said that right at the beginning of the book, that the gospel is good news for, for everyone who believes because in the gospel a righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, it comes by faith. So he's just he's taking Jewish Christians back and saying, you know, how, how was it that Abraham was made right with God? He was made right with God by faith alone, by being given God's righteousness. Now, we're in a cost of living crisis. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you haven't noticed that, what planet are you on? And some of us may be facing terrible costs in our fuel bills. Some of us f facing mortgage repayments going through the roof, the anxiety, the fear, the debt. So, so imagine the relief. There's a knock at the door. It doesn't really work on this, does it? It needs to be a wooden thing. Anyway, but you know, imagine a knock on the door. Uh, and the person standing there is one of those officious types in a suit with a clipboard. But they say, well, no, you've got some great news for you. Your billionaire cousin has just died. Oh, I didn't even know I had a billionaire cousin. If I'd known that, well, well they've, they've just died and they've left you their whole estate. Would you sign this piece of paper to inherit it all? Now, who would say, this? oh, I, think I just need to go away and think about it for a bit. No, you'd be there signing straight away, wouldn't you? The relief, the freedom, foreign holidays. A mortgage-free home, education from the children at the top schools. But what Paul is speaking of here is better news. How can anything possibly be better news than that? God can credit us, give to us his righteousness. And we say, oh, I'm just not feeling it, John. You know, if, if somebody did knock on my door and say, I've got some good news, do you want some billions? Oh, I can feel that. But God's righteousness? I need to go and think about it. Really? We, we struggle to understand this because by nature, we cannot see how righteous God is and how unrighteous we are. What blessings flow to us by being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So let me just have a go. See, God is infinite. He's infinite in many different ways. The revelation of the Old Testament reveals that God is without beginning and without end. He's eternal. 
He's also spatially infinite. There's no place you can go where God is not. He is outside the universe, everywhere through the universe, from beginning to end of the universe, before the beginning and after the end. He is infinite in power. There is nothing he cannot do. Of course, according to his character, there are some things he cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot be tempted by evil because his perfection is infinite and perfect. He is eternally and everywhere good, infinitely righteous. The only thing that stops him blessing us is that we are not righteous. As Paul has been saying, chapter 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. If you think that you're a righteous person here this morning, without Jesus Christ, I'm sorry to break it to you, you're not righteous, as God is righteous. And God demands that you share his righteousness to be with him in heavenly glory. How could he demand anything less? And Paul has been saying that the result of our unrighteousness is we, we, we face the right, just anger of God, of eternal punishment in hell. And if you doubt me, well, doubt me, but don't take it from me. Go and read the words of Jesus. It was his teaching about eternal punishment in hell. It was he who said he'd come into the world to drink the cup of God's wrath in our place. It was he who said he'd come into the world to pay the ransom, the price, to set us free. It was Jesus who came into the world as the second person of the Trinity, sent by the Holy Spirit, who was infinitely righteous because he's God, he's the Son of God. So that even when he was hanging on the cross, enduring the agonies of physical torture, and the weight of the whole sin of the world, enduring the wrath of God upon his shoulders as it went dark as God judged him. It was that one who could say, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Now, when we suffer with, I don't know, a headache, or whatever it might be. We get a bit grumpy, don't we? I mean, I'm like that. Are you like that? Are you righteous like him? Suffering torture? Could be thinking more about other people. Forgive him, Father. Could be thinking more about his mother, watching him tortured to death, saying to his best friend, John, will you look after my mother? Take her into your home. Do we have that kind of righteousness? No. See, the only way that we can be righteous is if we're given that righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus as a gift for free that sets us free, that credits us into our righteousness account with God's righteousness. Perfect righteousness. I mean, Jesus talked much about this. Remember his story about the wedding banquet, and it, it sort of causes questions, and that's 
what the purpose of the parables are. You know, God invites anybody to come to the wedding banquet of his son. And then at the end of the parable, there's somebody in the banquet who doesn't have the right clothes on. And you think, well, what is that about? I mean, why would God throw somebody out of the heavenly welcome, uh, the wedding banquet, banquet, because they don't have the right clothes on? Until we realize that the image of righteousness in the New Testament is being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Dressed, not just in the cardigan, but with Jesus' righteousness. So let's just keep going, because this is what Paul is arguing, verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. You want to work your way to heaven? You want to say, God, you should let me into heaven because I've done X, Y, and Z? You know, we get the principle of a fair pay for a fair day's work. You know, that's why with inflation there are strikes. You know, railway workers and postal workers, even the barristers. I mean, things must be bad. We can think that being right with God is about working hard at being good and receiving our due reward. Is that how it works? Because then we can judge others. They don't deserve to get in. I do. Except when we then realize that we maybe don't. So we flip from pride to despair. Is that your experience? It's not God's way. Never has been. Verse 5, however, to the one who does not work, do we get that? Does not work, but trusts God. Who justifies who? Evil people. That's who he justifies. Ungodly people, unrighteous people. Their faith, their trust in God is credited as righteousness. If we sign on the dotted line, if we trust in Jesus, we are viewed by God as if we are as perfect as his son. That's how it works. That's what Abraham believed. Is it what you believe? It's also what David believed. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Oh, such good news. David knew that he was a rotter. Just read 1 and 2 Samuel. You'll see. And this is what he writes in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will never count against them. His transgressions will never count against them. How is it that David could come to the point where he knew that God would never count his sins against him? Well, Paul says because he believed God credited him with righteousness. See, people talk about being blessed, don't they? Being comfortable financially, or being the, the family is at peace, or they love their job. All good things. But for King David, King David, to be blessed was to be credited with God's righteousness. To be blessed is to be forgiven by God, because everything else flows from that. Now, do you know this blessing? 
This is what it is to be truly blessed by God. Life might be great for you at the moment, and I rejoice in that. But true blessing is not to be wealthy or healthy or at peace, but to be clothed with the infinite righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because then God promises to bless you forever. I don't know what Jeff Bezos is going to do when he dies. He's not going to take any of it with him, is he? doesn't matter how wealthy you are, as Psalm 49 says, you can't redeem your life, your soul, with money. It doesn't matter if you have the whole world. It's not enough. See, God has always credited people with his righteousness by faith alone. That's always, from Abraham on, how people have been made right with God. If you believe something different, you've misunderstood the Bible from Genesis 12 onwards. God has always credited people with his righteousness by faith alone. Secondly, and more briefly, God has always blessed by faith alone. So Christians are equal. God has always blessed by faith alone. So Christians are equal. Uh, in, in verse 9, Paul picks up this idea of blessedness that has been um, generated by his quotation from Psalm 32. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. That's how Abraham was right with God. But when was he credited with righteousness? Now, bear in mind that the Jew-Gentile division in the church is in Paul's minds. What's he trying to do here? He's trying to show that both Jews and Gentiles are made right with God in the same way by going back to Abraham. Under what circumstances was it credited to him? You know, what was it about Abraham that meant that he was right with God? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Was it when he was a Jew? Or when he was a Gentile? It was not after, but before. Verse 11, and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still circumcised. You can hear the Jewish Christians muttering a little bit. Really? You, you mean Abraham was made right as a Gentile? with God. Yes, that's right. So then he's the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, all the Gentiles, in order that the righteousness that righteousness might be credited to them. They will just be given God's righteousness because they believe. And he's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but walk in the faith that our father Abraham before had before he was circumcised. See, the thing that matters, Abraham believed. Whether he was Jew or Gentile is secondary. It's not how you're right with God. So he's the father of Jewish Christians. He's the father of Gentile Christians. He's the father of all Christians by faith. Not according to the flesh. Doesn't mean Jewish identity is not important. Doesn't mean that anti-Semitism is not important. Question is, what unites us as Christians? Faith in Jesus Christ. All other identities come second. Because if they don't, we will end up judging one another. And living out of line with God's way of making us acceptable to ourselves and acceptable to one another. See, those of us who are Christians here, 
are of the same family. I don't know if you, you love... Uh, I, I'm a, you know, my family um, might think I'm not very sentimental, but occasionally I am really sentimental and sort of dissolve into tears at, at various films. And uh, uh, one of the sort of kinds of things that gets me is when long-lost brothers and sisters who were sort of separated at birth in the hospital or some tragedy means that one of them has grown up on one side of the world and the other has grown up, and then they find out oh, they've got a long-lost brother or sister. And, and they're reunited. There's loads of tears, aren't there? It's, it's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? And that's what Paul is saying here. If we believe in Jesus Christ... We're long-lost family. We've been brought together by our big brother, Jesus Christ, laying down his life on the cross to take the punishment for our sins and, and give us his righteousness. That's how we're acceptable to God. But I don't know about you. I, I, I'm quite clear on the first one. Jesus died in my place to take the punishment for my sins. In my thinking, and give me his perfect righteousness, is, is not as much the go-to way of thinking. Is that the same for you? You know, when I sin, I, th I, I go to the Lord and I say, you know, I'm really sorry. And please forgive me. And that's probably it. What I don't say is, thank you that you see me as your son Jesus. Thank you that you still love me. You still accept me. And help me to live my life out of that new identity that you've given me in Jesus. But that is the dominant note of Paul's teaching in the book of Romans. It's all about the, the life of faith in God's righteousness. He's about to explain how righteousness, chapters 6 to 8, is our new identity. Not trying to go back to the law. And, and we, uh, uh, I, and I guess we, do... Uh, what the Puritans, I think, that sentence didn't come out right, I'll start again. We tend to do what the Puritans would call will worship. For those of you who are sort of into theological language, we're semi-Pelagians. We think that we can do what is needed to be acceptable to God. Naturally what we're like particularly if we've had a background in church culture which emphasizes guilt and works. But what we're supposed to do is, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to save me. Please forgive me my sins. Thank you that you clothed me in your righteousness and you've given me the Holy Spirit. You've me given a new identity in which I can live to please you. Please, by your Spirit, strengthen me. Help me to walk in that way. Pleasing you and it being acceptable to you. And that is a much better motivation for doing what is right than, I'll try harder. So, what are we going to be at Cornerstone Church, Colchester? Well, we could be slipping into trusting in our own righteousness. I've done X, Y, or Z in my Christian life. I'm more worthy of recognition or involvement than this young Christian who's hardly done anything yet. I've been involved with Cornerstone Colchester for... Over two years. These newcomers, they can't be involved until they've done a little bit more. 
Now, of course, we believe that it's right to test maturity in the faith before people grow into leadership. The Bible's very, very clear that there is a distinction between being an infant in Christ and being mature in Christ. But there is no difference in status. We are all children of our Heavenly Father. God has always blessed by faith alone. So Christians are all equal, irrespective of our, our race, our sexuality, our gender, our socioeconomic status, our Christian upbringing or lack thereof. So if we're going to be a loving community for newcomers, both newcomers to the Christian faith and newcomers who are already Christians, across these things that divide the rest of the world, we must be a church for which justification by faith alone, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, defines us. Not the good things we do, not our Christian heritage, because if we, if we and Paul talks about it in Titus, doesn't he, emphasize these things, that the grace of God, because if our self-acceptance is based on what God has done for us, then that fuels our acceptance of one another. We're not defining ourselves by whether we do the music or not, or whether we're up front or not, or whether we serve in the behind the scenes or not. No, we define ourselves by the righteousness God has given us. We signed on the dotted line. We've trusted in Jesus Christ. That's how God accepts and blesses anyone. And it always has been since Abraham on. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you declare us to be right with you, righteous in your sight, okay with you, loved by you, part of your family, only on the basis of Jesus Christ and his death in our place and his resurrection from the grave, giving us his righteousness, imputed righteousness. Oh, Father, help us to live not only as forgiven people, but those who are your children, clothed, credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen.